0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM coach, and this is episode 94. I was reading a really cool article, not a really cool article, but an article the other day by Carl Richards. He's the sketch guy in the New York Times, and I love his perspective on a lot of things, and he does a business article, business column, but I brought him up before on the podcast with little quotes and tidbits that he has on his sketch guy column. And it's, yeah, it's usually geared towards business, but I think it can be applied in a lot of ways in our daily lives. And it ties into another sort of website, um, social media advertisement I saw just yesterday, getting ready for the 2019 season and the holidays. And basically what Carl Richards, the, the sketch guy, talks about, he says, in my, many in life, we have many choices, but they usually fall into two categories. Option A, exciting and complex and quick, but the action rarely works. And option B is boring and simple and slow, but it nearly works every time. And he talks about examples of different um, outcomes of options, and he has this great that he, he's called the sketch guy because he always sketches on a napkin. And he has these great um, sketches that he highlights his stories with. And he also has a podcast, by the way, I think, um, of these topics. And it's great because on this, on this uh, napkin, he has a long set of stairs um, going up to a high point. And all those little stairs he calls, all those little steps, he calls small changes. And then on the far end of the napkin is the distance between the lowest stair and the top stair and that height he calls massive change. And what I like about it, it just, he highlights, and this is the name of the article, the best path to long-term change is slow, simple, and boring. And why I bring this up is because, again, this concept of that there's a quick methodology to endurance training, endurance outcomes, endurance goals and adventures is impossible. It is absolutely impossible. And like he says, the action rarely works, exciting and complex and quick i call it exciting because it's a cool new training program or it has cool new workouts or it's like exciting different stimulus and while there's times for a different stimulus you still need to do the work complex usually is when coaches try to make it super complex super um on on a higher level as if you have to have a certain degree in exercise physiology in order to come up with a training plan for endurance athletics no (laughs) no you don't that's the whole premise basically of this podcast to demystify that you need this certain prescription in training in order to be successful in endurance sports and quick we both know we both, Carl Richards and I, but all of you as well, we all know there is no quick outcome in endurance sports and ultra endurance training. It takes long, gradual, slow, simple, boring training activities in order to achieve the outcome. That's how our body works. Once again, it brings us back to our evolution, what we are truly about. We are aerobic, engines. We're not made for high intensity. It puts us in a vulnerable state. Our body doesn't work as well. Our mind doesn't work as well. (laughs) And overall, our results aren't as equal to the rest of nature around us when we're in a high intensity active situation. We're not at our best unless we're simple, slow, and boring aerobic activity. And that's basically um, the entire zone two concept, getting more efficient, getting more steady, getting more ability and economy at that lower heart rate, that lower effort, so that you can go longer at a slightly faster rate, because what you're slow, and your low heart rate and your simple and boring is to you is getting faster and faster relatively to paces and wattages and speeds. I was having a conversation yesterday at a Christmas party with somebody. And I was saying, you know, the, the elite front of the pack, whether in triathlon, whether in ultra running, whether in marathons, well, marathon's a little bit different because it's a threshold race, um, but in endurance events, right 100 mile runs 50k runs um um, endurance swims um endurance bike rides they're at their same percentage of max rpe effort level um, percentage of max heart rate as many of us or beginners but to them at that effort level and at that pace they are just faster it's not like they have this magical engine That allows them to go above functional threshold power longer than the rest of us, no, right? They have to stay just at or under it as well for a shorter race, right? A good ways under it for a longer race. But it's still relative to them, the same marker, the same point. They're just more trained in a holding it longer, and B, their threshold, their number, their percentage, is the same, but it's just faster, or um, at a higher power than we are. So, and that's all that we're looking to do in our training for endurance activities. And that is, increase the speed, increase the power we can put forth in on the pedals, or pulling and swimming or running and leg turnover whilst whilst still remaining at a steady lower taxing heart rate. Right? Or you know the other parts are just inputs, but heart rate is an internal signal. So therefore as well as RP. So let's tie in RP. But not wattage, not pace, not speed, because those are external numbers that we're measuring but what we're feeling and how it taxes our body, RPE and heart rate, that's where, that's the core where it starts from and we, we want to get faster from. And again, the best path to long-term change is slow, simple, and boring. And another way this article touched on uh, or hit a point for me, which I made me sort of laugh and why I'm tying in what I saw on social media and advertisement the other day is that he writes... Um, He goes into more financial aspects of this. Um, But he talks, why wouldn't we use the quick uh, quick and easy way, right? The quick and complex, but yet easy, faster way. And he writes, well, because it doesn't work. And then he says, sorry, that is not correct. Let me be more precise. It works just often enough for someone to claim it works and sell it to you. But it probably won't work for you. And so that got me thinking because I saw this advertisement the other day on, uh, I think it was like Instagram click through or something like that. And it was for a coaching system. And it says, want a huge PR in 2019 in an Olympic distance 70.3 or Ironman? This is your chance to get faster and free like so-and-so did and 7,000 others did, Right? And this person had a PR in 19, in 19, so in, in the 70.3 distance. And we're looking for triathletes and we do optimized training. And then here's the beauty 8.7 times more effective than self coaching, 2.4 times more effective than coaching, coach design training, and 2.9 times less risk of injury. Results are guaranteed, it says and taken from multiple year-long studies with more than 7,000 athletes who've competed in more than five dozen half-and-full Ironman events. I mean, come on. So, A, you're going to guarantee results. Well, what are those results guaranteeing? Improvement? Well, by doing your training, slow, simple, and boring, I guarantee you also, you're going to have improvements because that's exactly what the sketch guy says here. You know what will work, he writes, back to the article. Small actions repeated consistently over a very long period of time. Yes, training. Incremental change is a short-term boring, but long-term exciting. And so, oh, and back to that, Two months free training, no cost, no obligation, but they're guaranteeing success in six months or eight months. Don't fall for that trick. And this has nothing to do with promoting my own coaching. This has to do with me not wanting this type of information, this type of confusion, and this type of playing with the numbers, right? Back to option A, what Carl Richards talks about. Exciting? Yup. Look, those results. Complex? Those formulas of 2.9 times less risk of injury, 2.4 times more effective than coach-designed training, and 8.7 times more effective than self-coaching. Where are you getting those numbers? <laughs> right? Right? Option A, exciting and complex and quick, but the action rarely works. Option B, boring and simple and slow, but it works nearly all the time. I'd rather nobody be coached, but that you stay in this health and fitness and longevity and vitality and outdoors and active and nature and immersed lifestyle because you're on the option B path of simple and slow, but you're doing it every day. You're staying healthy. You're progressing. You're better tomorrow than you were today in a very incremental, small way. That's why I love this, right? Um, Small actions repeated consistently over a very long period of time. Very long period of time is our life. And small actions are all the little things, not just training, Nutrition and mindset and meditation and um, activity and community and social aspects and, you know, teaching and how we contribute in this community of endurance and health and fitness and lifestyle. Small actions repeated consistently over a long period of time. That's why I'd rather you not get any coaching but able to do this and be able to stick with this lifestyle and see the joy and the health and the benefits from it that go way deeper than just physical, go even way deeper than just mental, as you guys know in my approach with regards to the spirituality of it, the higher consciousness of it, the self daily reflection that you get when you're out there by yourself and listening to your body breathe and so forth. But I'm not gonna go into that right now. The important thing that also, though, that Carl Richards brings up is he he reminds us to look back. He says, here's one trick to help you keep picking option B, right? Slow, simple, boring. Remember to stop every once in a while and look back at where you started. We often get so focused on the goal that is still way over the horizon that we forget to turn around to see how far we've come. And that's important for all of us in our training. Again, he's talking, he's a financial planner and he does, oh, his um, podcast is called The Behavior Gap, sorry. Um, I wanna give him his full due. We often have our big goals in mind in our next season and that adventure and that huge um, outcome and then we forget to look back, especially at this time of year in December of 2018, to look back and what an amazing year of accomplishments. I would guarantee everyone listening to this podcast has had with regards to training, with regards to epic training days or weekends or days in a row of doing something, to you know, accomplishing your first 5K, your first 10K. I get emails every week, from some of you who talk about how happy you are to have completed your first this or have done a race there or to have experienced something here or to have felt the endurance mindset um, in some way that day or that month or at that event. I love that. And that's exactly what we should be reflecting back upon. Not looking forward always and comparing ourselves to what others are doing and how epic and cool that looks. Like I I have to turn off Instagram and social media many times because I can't even watch what half of these athletes are doing because not that I feel like I'm missing something. I feel I'm worried that they're either gonna get injured or sick or something crazy is gonna happen because some of the stuff they're doing, it's crazy out there and in beautiful locations around the world, yes. But also looking back for myself, I've had the most incredible year. I would like to almost say that 2018 was one of the best years of my entire life, but not because of comparison to other people, but to myself. And I've lived some incredible journeys in my life. But tying it all together and sharing it here on the podcast and the people and the community and the training and the friendships and the locations and the travel and the people I've met and the people I've yet to meet, but have sort of grown through this community of the podcast and people reaching out, it's been absolutely amazing. Carl Richards continues, every day I make it a point to look back and notice how far I've come. Some days the distance I have come have come is clear, while other days I still have room to improve. But keeping track of this incremental change helps reinforce why I'm making short-term boring choices, because at some point I'll look back and see how far I've come, and short-term boring will become long-term exciting. When you guys are before a race and before an epic challenge or before an epic adventure or something that you've really looked forward to and trained for and sacrificed for and done a lot for over the last months, in some cases, years, that's sometimes the best time to look back, look down all those steps like I was talking about earlier, all those steps to see how high up and how far up you've come to reach this point. How fit and alive and how healthy and connected and how beautiful the journey was. It makes the event a complete no-brainer and a gift and just part of the bigger picture of it was all amazing. And this event is just the icing on the top. When you're standing on that mountaintop, looking back on how far you've come and how much you've trained and how much you've grown and how much you've learned and how much you've sacrificed and how proud you feel that you were still able to balance family and career and personal life all around that and yet still be standing here, that's awesome and that's how we look back and that's how we reflect on 2018, hopefully in the next few weeks as we close it out so that's the weekly word podcast uh, intro for this week but i thought that would be a good one to share because i saw that advertisement for coaching and i was like oh no 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 that's exactly what we don't want to fall into a trap for um things and data and numbers like that that are relative to nothing to nothing so what are we going to talk about this week well i um promise to deliver on the holidays aspect and how to best navigate through them please don't take my sort of beginning of it of describing how i believe the holidays are something we can somewhat do better at avoiding the stress that's just because i want to put it into perspective of um more objective it's out there it's a day we know about and um maybe if we don't get so emotionally and personally connected to all the things we feel define we need to do for that day, maybe next year we can manage it better. Because trust me, I understand the stress and the urgency and the craziness of this time of year, um, no matter how much I try to avoid it, not that I'm a Grinch or anything, but um, you know, you feel it, you feel it all around you. And I think in a lot of ways, um, as I talk about on that section, that it might not be quite as necessary as it is. And then I go into a variety of quick hits. I got a lot of positive feedback on people liking the quick short hits, a lot of good training insights there. And then I also talk about some ways to approach the 2019 season and how to set up some intentions and uh, ask yourself some questions on how 2019 will be different. I take some listener questions with regards to treadmill test, with regards to running downhill and trail running and strength for trail running, and um, some swimming technique. So enjoy this week's podcast. And please remember to um, think about the newsletter. Uh, I go into even more swimming technique in the newsletter this week or this month with um, some flutter kick conversation and some stroke um, visual aids and links so that you can work on your swimming over the winter. Um, The newsletter also will have a discussion that I will tie into here on this last episode of the podcast for the year next week that um, sort of highlights all the crazy adventures that all my athletes did this past year and celebrating them a little bit. Um, That's my intention for this final podcast of the year. And then that weekly word newsletter, the final one of the year as well. Alright, enjoy. So here we are, it's the holidays. And as I request, and as I requested, as I promised, we're gonna dive into more of the holidays, the mindset, how to get through it, why we want to kick out the other end in a certain way, and how to use this time of year to our advantage with regards to planning the next season, what we want to get out of it. And also to sort of put a little bit of guilt on you with regards to the training, because Christmas is in the same day every year, and the holidays really have very little reason to be as stressful as they are for many people, because it is a fixed set date. We know the holiday parties are coming. We know that the family gatherings are coming. We know that that Christmas is on the 25th, and even for other denominations in Hanukkah and so forth, we know those dates pretty far in advance. Yet somehow everything gets congested and compacted into this one month that everybody becomes so overwhelmed and so fatigued and so stressed and so overloaded. So I've always found that fascinating. I'm not saying that it's not a um, legitimate reason or that it's not happening, but I just found that our, our um, importance we place on something that we know is coming, and our. <laughs> Me too. I'm I'm a last minute shopper myself, but our lack of planning creating the stress, I find interesting. I find um, I've never had it so, um, I guess I associate with it differently, and um, sure with kids and family and extended family and new family and more kids and travel coming up and you know holiday parties and you know there's a lot but I don't know I've never been one to get super stressed overloaded overwhelmed by it (laughs) as a matter of fact I actually decided this year because I was looking at my task list with regards to holiday cards I was like Why am I doing holiday cards? Why am I going to add this stress to my life? Instead, for people who I want to reach out to, want to send a note to, want to give them an update to our lives, my life, the children's life, some photos, I'm just going to do something personal and send them an email or send them a couple pictures or write out a note, handwritten note to them. Versus that stress of creating and labeling and sending out and holiday cards. If I got 200 holiday cards, I'd probably feel pretty guilty. But I don't get that many. So <laughs> that's sort of my approach. But back to the holidays. <laughs> so here we are. We're, um, it's December 14th. There's 10 more days until Christmas and everybody's feeling pretty overloaded. Now, what I always say with regards to the holidays, and you heard a little bit about it from it, about it from me last week, which was how do we efficiently get through the holidays and kick out the other side with a pretty good level of fitness. Now, of course, step one is to come into it with a pretty good level of fitness. So that taking a few days off, even 10 days need be, because of travel or other commitments or going to a location with your family on a trip um, that doesn't that's not very conducive to training so be it you'll reconnect quicker on the back end so coming in quite prepared quite fit quite connected to your fitness is step number one and no this doesn't mean you have a major training block because Too much there is also not going to translate. That's just extra hours, which will then pull you from the other hours that you need, creating stress and so forth. So we don't want to do that. But a pretty consistent, solid few weeks leading up to this point should allow you to feel pretty good where you are going into this um, uncertain block of training in order to kick out on January 7th to restart a uh, more consistent block of training again, which on, uh, by the way, is why I often have done my coast ride in mid January, not often, I always do it. Because kicking out on the back end of the coast ride, after five, 600 miles of cycling, in a few days, you're really well connected to your fitness again. And you feel pretty good, at least about your cycling fitness, going into late January, early February. So, um, but that being said, so you want to come in somewhat fit, somewhat confident, somewhat feeling good about where you're heading going into these uncertain times. And then what I often recommend and I do for many of my athletes and I send them a note or I remind them in their training peaks or training logs that for the holidays, let's say what we said last week, which was December 22nd, until January 7th, I think it was. If we look at that, that's a Saturday and it goes to a Monday. That's a total of what we're looking at is one, two weeks and two days. Yeah, two weeks and two days. So we're talking about 16 days. So what I like to do for most of my athletes is give them a choice of workouts to choose from. Now, I will populate their training logs and give them all the workouts on specific days. But if not, if it doesn't work, they can use those two weeks of training workouts that I put in there, shuffle them around or look or use them in some way as a menu item, as a drop down item, as a choice to pull from for what works that day. You're traveling to see family, and you're somewhere where only a run will work today. Well, pull from the menu from another day in those two weeks, one of the runs. You are in a location where um, there's no pool today, so you get on your bike. If you don't have your bike, you're training, um, again, away from home, no bike, so we'll use swim and run for the week. We'll use core. We'll use strength. We'll use cross training. We'll use hiking. We'll use a variety of different things just to keep you active as well as connecting with your body a little bit every day. Now, I used to say getting aerobic every day, finding that heart rate and that aerobic activity every day. Absolutely. That is very, very important. But I also don't want to... overlook the value of stretching and some hiking time and just some time to reset to get back into some sort of equilibrium with yourself before you return to family mayhem and that could be 45 minutes that could be 90 minutes that could be two three hours you can sit on an exercise bike at some of these funny country club gyms you can grab a mat a yoga mat from Um, the friends you're staying with and go into another room and just sort of spend some time moving your body, feeling it, reconnecting with it. So it's 16 days. And if you can get through the 16 days by doing, let's say 80% of the training, right? So that's um, 12 days, 12 of the 16 days that you train, that gives you four off days in there. That's pretty good, 80% of the training. 80% of those days is 12 days. Well, a little bit more, but let's just say 12 days is actually 75%, but um, that's still three days of rest if you if you round it up to 13 days. My point is, is choose the days that you can focus on them, get them done, cross them off, and feel good about, all right, now I only have to tackle 15 more days or 14 more days or eight more days, right? Get something done when you can get it done too. A lot of athletes say, well, you had a swim for me today and I just couldn't swim. Well, then then, yeah, then go for a run. Then go for a bike ride. Then do some core work. Do some stretch cords. Go for a hike. Like do something on those days so that you at least can count that day towards your 16 days. The pools are hard to come by during the holidays, right? And even outdoor cycling, or if you're traveling, you're not bringing your bike in many cases, are, those those workouts are hard to come by. So if you have a gym where there is a pretty good exercise bike, if you are somewhere where they do have a Peloton bike or some sort of good, decent bike or a trainer set up, Well, shuffle those workouts around knowing that maybe tomorrow or the next day or some other day, you're not going to have an opportunity to bike. Holding off and thinking I might be able to is not good enough. During the holidays, during those 16 days, you want to stay focused on getting in what you can when you can and not hedging on future better weather, better opportunity, better gear, bigger time window, more comfortable. No. If you can find 45 minutes in the pool today, but you had a, the workout is actually an hour and 15, well, take the 45 minutes. Now, out of the 16 days, you maybe only need five more swims. You got the meat of it, the heart of it done in 45 minutes, or maybe you swam 45 minutes straight. The key during these 16 days, during the holidays, is getting it in, getting something in and not making any excuses for it. The guilt I want to place on athletes is if you look at your day from 6am to 8pm in those 14 hours, I guarantee you if I were standing with you, around you, next to you, hovering above you, I would find you an hour. Absolutely, there is an hour to be found to get your training done every day. And if there's workout, if there's that much going on, get up at five and train from 5.15 to 6.15 before your kids are awake, before the family's awake, before your husband's awake, before your wife's awake, get it done. It'll make you a lot more sane. (laughs) And you can go back to the routine of, let's say sleeping in more or having a structured time every day where you do specific workouts, It's fine, you'll get back to that after these 16 days, but get through these 16 days and feel good about it. Let's say you get through 11, 12, even 13 days successfully, and you only have three or four more days to go, right? Maybe then you should take a rest day. (laughs) Give yourself an accomplishment day, right? Sure, we're all pretty meticulous in wanting to make sure that we train every day, and it feels good. But reward yourself during these 16 days is what I'm saying. Take Christmas Day off, please, please. But for example, there might be an opportunity to train that day, to go out for a run that afternoon or even a bike ride. I don't know what the situation is. And so, and you might have said, all right, I couldn't do it on Christmas Eve or Christmas or the day before. So this is my window. I have a window. Well, then, yeah, do something that day. You took the other day off. So it's not hard to navigate if you just pull back um, the lens a bit and look at it from a 16-day window perspective. And I want to get in these, let's say there's some doubles listed in there, I want to get in these 18 workouts. Move them around. Have your menu choices ready, and then when the day or the weather or the location or the infrastructure lines up go for it you have 18 workouts to choose from from the menu choose one get it done move on so and then we want to kick out the other end connected somewhat to fitness let's say it didn't go well let's say you only got in five workouts in the 16 days five days the other nine days were off that's fine too there's many other things you can do in the holidays you can eat pretty healthy you can pay attention that you're not going to make it more difficult for you to come back from not only nine days off, but eating crappy or filling your body with just junk and toxins and stuff that it's going to take longer to w- work off. Create a, an opportunity for you to be successful. Yeah, I didn't get the train, but I ate really healthy and I got a lot of sleep or I didn't get to train, but I had some really quality, valuable time with my family and they'll be, uh, not they'll be, but my ability to train after will be different and the appreciation of me being fully present for those nine days I missed workouts will uh, pay off. It'll all be good. Things like that. Work something to your fa- favor, to your advantage. Like I always say, what have you done today, right, to make you better than yesterday or has gotten you closer to towards your goals or intentions? What have you done today to help you get more accomplished towards what you want to be, whether that's as an athlete or um, in, in many aspects of our lives? And you can flip that narrative. You can talk that narrative successfully, not flip it, you can talk that narrative successfully if you've done something that connects you to being better than yesterday. I ate healthier than yesterday. I was more present with my family than yesterday. I um, didn't rush through this than like I did yesterday. I got in an extra 10 minute walk today, which I didn't yesterday. I, you know, ran an extra two miles today because time was available and I took advantage of it. I didn't get to do that yesterday. You're already another day closer from the 16 day window of continuing to stay somewhat connected as an athlete. And that also ties into our athlete mindset, right? That I always talk about. The athlete mindset isn't necessarily that you're training every day, but then if I'm not training, I am not going to create an environment that's going to be to my detriment. That's what athletes do. They'll say, all right, I'm going to sleep well. I'm going to let my body recover in these days where I'm forced on recovery. I'm going to move my body a little bit um, with regards to stretching and maybe some activation exercises and movements, but nothing beyond that. I'm not even going to build a sweat this week, but I'm going to eat well and I'm going to sleep well, and I'm going to come out of this rejuvenated. I said to an athlete the other day, you know, if you're going to be stuck not training for the next few days, um, he was traveling in this case. I said, not only eat well and sleep well, but also take some time to maybe journal or take notes on how much this training and your goals and the processes and the journey towards those goals mean to you. Use this time to reflect and, and feel and observe how you are when you don't get to do it. Not because of injury, not because of sickness, when we're distracted because we have a cause for our um, lack of being able to train, but when you're truly forced and and can't train due to logistics, due to love, <laughs> right? Because family and holidays, that's fine. But then take a moment and and realize and observe and reflect on your day wondering, man, I really did miss my run today, or it would have been beautiful to go out for a bike ride today. Why? Why? Why does it? Why do you say that? Why do you feel that? Is it just because you have a, a goal of, doing an Ironman or running 100 miles or doing a big event in the spring or in the summer? Or is it because it means something to you every day to have that time not only for yourself but to be physically active, to be connected? Again, another tool, another way you can come out of these 16 days armed for a better version of you to train, to recover, to deal with the, the, the months ahead towards your event. I My relationships, my body, my relationships are healthy, my body is healthy, my mind is healthy, and my schedule is healthy. If that's how you come out of the holidays, those 16 days, and didn't do any training, but you can answer those four things, or the two of them, or three of them, that's great. Again, another way to show that you're better prepared, you're better than you were going into the holidays than you were before, right? By, by having better relationships, a better infrastructure, a better, you know, a healthier body, good, so be it. Because I always say this to athletes of mine that are concerned about their training or getting in enough training. We'll get you fit, we can get you plenty fit But we can't rebuild relationships. We can't rebuild uh, a sick body, an unhealthy body, an injured body in the way that you want to train them. So let it all just sort of marinate and breathe. And then when you kick out of the holidays, because I'm talking about that extreme situation where you didn't get to train at all, or maybe two out of the 16 days, three, that you... Take a deep breath and realize I will get in shape. I will get fit again. This isn't, you know, two weeks past January 7th, you might be going, geez, I was ever worried about getting fit and healthy and and, and in shape again. I'm exhausted already. This training is already kicking my butt. But the conversation has to be, I'm an athlete. What am I doing today to prepare myself for the day that I can train again, that I can get back into my structure, that I can get back into the environment, the daily routine that I so enjoy. So that's how I view the holidays. And I think if you take those key points and apply them to your personal holidays, your personal next two, three weeks, and your personal desired outcomes, I think that will help you navigate these next two, three weeks in a successful way, so that when we all kick out on January 7th or mid-January, we feel pretty armed and ready to take on the 2019 season, which takes me to the next topic. So here we are, we're going into the 2019 season, and it's quickly approaching. And with that comes a fresh new start We've kicked out, it's January, it's early January, we finally get to exhale, we get our routine back, we get our infrastructure back, and now we're excited to train, not only to rebuild and reconnect to our fitness, but also start projecting and thinking forward how we want 2019 to go. And again, as I was just saying, if we can use the downtime where we're not training during the holidays because of life's other events, maybe we have some questions we can ask ourselves about the 2019 season. No matter, No matter if you've done this in the past or how you did this past season, or if you've done this exercise in the past seasons it's still valuable to reset every year and think about how you want to have your coming season, the 2019 season to go. Sort of four questions to ask yourself. And that could be whether the past season totally exceeded your goals or you came up a little shit, shit, shit. <laughs> You came up a little short. You get to start with a clean sheet into your next season. Sure, the hunger, the curiosity, the mistakes, the learning is there from the last season. But moving forward, maybe ask yourself a few questions. I do this too. The first one is, what kind of athlete do I want to be? It's easy to point to it at a season end goal, right? Kona, finishing a 100 miler. My first fifty k, my first fifty miler, that three day adventure race, that five day desert crossing, that you know um, expedition I'm going on, that crazy self curated adventure I've I'm planning to do with my friends. What kind of an athlete do I want to be? That's part of your mindset, but that's also part of your approach. That you get a chance in 2019 to reset and think how great it will feel to be. That athlete doing not only the training, but accomplishing that big goal that you've set for yourself, visualizing it and actually achieving it. Well, breaking news, you don't need to wait to cross that finish line to be that kind of athlete. You don't become a consistently hard worker after you achieve your goals. It's something that you are. So think about the athlete you want to be next season and apply it from day one. Be it, live it on a daily basis. What kind of athlete do you want to be? Next question will be what is the biggest thing I can improve upon this coming season? It's easier to understand how athletes become a little overwhelmed at the beginning of the season. When they think of all the hard work to come, it's months away, some of these big goals. Thinking about all the things we need to improve on in order to achieve our goals can leave us feeling a little like we're about to be sucked into a rip current. Without control, right? This year, pick up one thing you will know you will ha- that will have the most impact on your results. Just one thing. Focus on that. It could be managing your time better. It could be getting more sleep. It could be hitting 100% of your swimming sessions. It could be, not about, it could be about not forgetting to do your running drills or the strides after it, as many of the workouts. It could be nailing your nutrition, whether it's your daily nutrition, improving upon that, or continuing to fine-tune your race day and training nutrition eating more fruits and vegetables. What is the biggest thing I can improve upon this season? And choose one thing and feel really good about that. Pick one thing and do it supremely well. A nice added bonus is that the attention to detail will soon affect other parts of your sport, whether that's trail running, swimming, biking, running, you know, rowing, climbing, hiking, all those things. Doing one thing better and getting really focused on that will bleed into other things. Strength training, drills, nutrition, whatever that is. What will I do each day to be a little bit better? This is the constant theme that I keep talking about. What am I doing today that makes me better than yesterday? What do I plan to do tomorrow that will make me better than today? success in the long term isn't the result of one big aha moment it's the steady application of marginal and incremental gains see what i was talking about earlier of showing up each day and doing a little bit better not majorly better a little bit better as we said about the holidays and as we said about long-term incremental change bit by bit the holidays it's about doing a little something better than you usually would than you you would have done last year in during the holidays and so forth so that you kick out better than last year or in this case that you're a little better than yesterday or a little better than last month because you're moving forward you're progressing you don't need to be perfect in practice every single day but you should absolutely try to be just a little bit better than you were yesterday. Progress, not perfection. And the final question to ask yourself for this preseason for the 2019 season, or while you have some downtime this holiday season is, why not me? We all have our dreams and intentions and goals of what we'd like to achieve during our time doing these crazy endurance sports? Why sabotage ourselves right out of the gate by limiting our opportunities and seeing what we're capable of? You are just as deserving of success in what you are planning to do as anyone else. So chase that big, uncomfortable, scary goal, modestly even crazy goal, modestly, moderately crazy goal, And do it with excitement and confidence this next season remember we want to do something on the outer boundary of what we deem or feel or observe we're capable of and do it in a systematic healthy injury-free manner so that you can achieve those big daunting scary goals why not why not me so What kind of athlete do you want to be? Really think about that. And that also ties into mindset, right? On how you want to approach every day. Um, Not necessarily from a mindset of how you want to attack every day, but how you want to be an athlete every day. Not only what kind of athlete do I want to be, but also recognizing you want to be an athlete every day. And being an athlete every day is a mindset, is an approach, is a preparedness is a way that you go about yourself and handle yourself with regards to taking yourself seriously and the sport seriously and um, recognizing that it means a lot to you. It's fine. And therefore, go forth and get it done. What is the biggest thing I can improve upon this coming season? What is that one thing? that you know, we all have our own own intuition, subconscious talking to us. We know what we can improve upon, whether that's getting more sleep, better diet, all the things we talked about. Most people I've come across with regards to ultra endurance training, managing time consistently in order to maintain the, the delicate balance of all this training is a huge challenge. Because the delicate balance doesn't only affect work and relationships and family. It affects your um, performance because you're lacking sleep. What will I do each day to be a little better? Maybe a mantra there. Maybe something that reminds you, what am I doing today? Or as you wake up in the morning, some intentions of what am I doing today? to ensure I will be better than yesterday. And not necessarily harder workout or faster workout, but maybe eating better, maybe slowing down a little bit, maybe some own self-care, maybe some stretching, maybe some yoga, maybe some strength work, maybe some stability work and core work, maybe better relationships on feeling more complete inside so that when you do train, you feel stronger, better, more complete about yourself, and then finally, why not me? Dream big, have big, bold, scary goals out there. Make sure as you're planning your 2019 season, and for some of you, I know, you're gonna look at, uh, you're gonna say, also, oh, Chris, we're planning our 20 and. 2020 and 2021 seasons. Wow, it's going to be weird getting used to saying that because some of you are planning some bigger adventures that it'll take a year or two for us to build towards those major (laughs) expeditions slash adventures. But again, dream big, right? Just because you have a big, scary um, um, adventure in two years from now, what is it this year that'll scare you, motivate you, keep you on your toes, get you out of bed in the morning, get you into bed at night, right? That is important too. So that's what we want to think about as we're going into our 2019 season. All right, I I'm going to jump into a bunch of questions and quick hits that have been piling up here. The quick hits not so much because I just do those on a whim, but to give you guys an idea, in my Training Peaks logs that I have to review, I have two hundred and sixty-seven new messages. That is just for today. <laughs> um, now a lot of them are empty um, because they're part of the automatic, um, you know, wireless upload that a lot of devices have. So I can click through a lot of them, but um, a lot of them we'll have some commentary in there and so i get about three to 350 notifications a day um, from training peaks or workout log so it adds up but that's part of what it is that i do so let me um go into the first question here which was really good and it just came across today that i felt i should share because it is applicable to the winner Hi, Chris, quick question. I've done the five times one mile Z2 test on an outdoor track a couple of times. Would like to test again as I head into the 2019 season, but live in Minnesota, I think so, Um, yeah, and don't have track access until the spring. Is this test still valid if done on a treadmill? So what I responded back to Nick in this case was that, I would recommend he does it on a treadmill, but not compare to his outdoor tests. That's a that's apples to oranges. You cannot, you do not want to compare the two. Um, so, get on a treadmill this week. Do the five times one mile on a treadmill. You could even do, you know, a little bit shorter in case you go mentally insane. But let's say five times at least six minutes, but I wouldn't go much over 10 minutes. So somewhere in there, let's say eight minutes with your one minute rest and do the same concept and then use that data for the next few months for indoors, few months, 12 to 16 weeks. And um, if you have, let's say 12 to 16 weeks and you're from this point and you're testing now, I would probably test another two, three times in that window Um, of 16 weeks and just to continue to monitor your progress or data points and then once the spring comes around go back outside and do a new application of the test um, on the outdoor track to reset the data Um, there's a variety of reasons why the treadmill indoors of course is will give you some different heart rate values but also the way you run on a treadmill is a little different and um, with regards to being propelled and helped along with your stride versus generating your own turnover on a track hi there chris first of all i want to thank you for your podcast i try and listen to every episode even if they don't directly apply to me there is always a valuable content that i can use no matter where i am my training cycles it is a one-of-a-kind podcast that is interesting but not too geeky, so there's something for everyone in it. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, And that's what I try to do, Uh, add a little bit for everybody. And I know I get a little bit of uh, a spiritual sort of um, theme here going sometimes, but again, that's part of my greater goal for all of you, that you find some time in your day every day to get a chance to spend it in your head and with your body and recognize this beautiful, beautiful instrument that we have control of with our mind. And um, yeah, we want to do that in a positive way. So to the question, uh, second of all, I was wondering if you are able to offer me a little bit of advice. I'm planning an adventure of running around 1,500 kilometers. Yes, you guys heard that right, 1,500 kilometers. It's just a little bit less than 1,000 miles. I'm looking to do around 30 kilometers a day for around 60 days. So similar to my athlete that um, ran and rode his horse the length of Sweden this summer um, for around 60 days. I want to be able to take a few days off a week when needed to make sure I have enough recovery. I ran a few marath- I've run a few marathons and also a 60K race. 160k race. On average I run at the moment as a baseline of about 60 to 70 kilometers a week. Was just curious what you thought the best way to train for something like this is and how many kms a week would be sufficient. All right, well, the <laughs> First of all, I love this cuz it looks like um he is curating his own adventure. And I'm a big proponent of this for all of you, curating your own adventure. How cool is that, that you have the fitness and you're willing to explore an adventure that you built yourself and you put the detail and the, the risk and the fear and the courage forth to do this, um, whether by yourself or even with friends, but it. That's the whole beauty of what we are as human beings and that we're able to make these decisions and do things like this based off our our own initiative and interest and curiosity Um, and using our fitness and our body to do that, to cover terrain, to take on terrain, whatever it is. I just love that. Um, It really makes me somewhat jealous. Because I can't do that currently in my life. I mean, there's little adventures that, um, for example, Emily and I are planning this summer. um, But nothing like this worth a thousand miles. But so is the coast ride. It's a little bit of an adventure, too, that I've done 25 or 30 times. Um, All right, so... First of all, this is a very general stuff because I don't know how you and your body respond to volume and the type of training you did in the past. I don't know how you train for that 160 kilometer race and those past marathons. I don't know what kind of intensity and um, volume you did for that. I don't know what kind of strength and stability and um, limiters you might have in your body, in your diet, in your training, in your mindset so all that ties into how we would go about a lot of this Um, the next question would be is i am planning adventure an adventure of running around 1500 kilometers well when how much time do we have for that because that will dictate how we train for it do we train um partial distances and see how your body responds to it do we have a little time and have to do one big huge build do you know is this something this year next year and so forth so it becomes you know a a lot of inputs here that mess with the sort of the balance equation protocol prescription for this type of training um, on average I run at the moment as a baseline about 60 to 70 kilometers a week well if you think in, if you're thinking about that as your baseline 30 kilometers a day for around 16 60 days so that's two straight months of running 30 kilometers a day so I will say that's about 18 miles a day for um in uh, for two months and that means um, that would make it 1800 kilometers but he's planning on taking um some recovery in there so i think the first part i would do here is also determine what my recovery needs are when i train those distances so first step here would be to figure out um, to get to a fitness level you're running 30 kilometers a day without any tax on the body just once so because if you're only doing 60 to 70 kilometers a week you know we want to know how 30 kilometers in a day is so basically half your volume in one day so we want to build up a fitness level that you feel really good like ain't no thing to do 30 kilometers 18 miles And then we want to start stringing those together. And at what point will the body need recovery in order to effectively move forward? Is that after six days? Is that after four days? Is that after 10 days? So that you can start building a protocol around the training you will need, right? Training is that adaptation and stress and recovery to the demands of what you're looking to do so we're looking to adapt your body to 30 kilometers a day for x number of days well in order for us to know the x number of days not the total day 60 like you wrote but the days you need and, and, and then recover then we go backwards and build the training for that so Let's say, for example, you go a good solid seven days or six days, let's say around six or seven days before you definitely need a recovery day because 18 miles a day, you know, now you're at 100 miles after six days, um, so you're 108. um, So your body just knows that at about 100 miles, it needs a day. So then we want to build a training plan that prepares you for six consecutive days. Now, we can do it a variety of different ways with overloading, um, also reducing the recovery time. So maybe you do, for example, a 30K or let's say 20K in the morning, a 10K at night. We build to that level of fitness where you can do that for 10 days in a row right? Just to stretch out your ability, you're still doing 30k a day, but the load isn't that dramatic, but you're also not fully recovered the next morning when you're doing 20k after the evening 10k. Um, You can do that with 15 and 15 too, but it's sometimes nice to get the bigger chunks done in the morning and then in the afternoon, maybe speed it up, clean it up, do some different terrain, stuff like that. I don't know how fast you are of a runner with regards to what kind of speeds you're looking at. So, if you're looking at 18 miles, 30K, maybe 19 miles, I think it's a little bit more, um, is that uh, what do we, maybe we're looking at time, right? If this is all on pavement, let's say you're running uh, six miles an hour, 10 minute miles, you know, you're getting ready to run three hours a day for how many days in a row? so then we build the tolerances less around the mileage but more around the time four days uh four hours one day two hours next day four hours on for two hours recovery so we do that (coughs) excuse me for a variety of days and sort of get the body so there's so many ways to skin this cat um sorry for that (laughs) description but You know what I'm, you guys can all hear what I'm talking about. This is, there's so many individual inputs to answer your questions with the proper detail and value that you may be looking for. So, the best way to train for something like this, yeah, so that's how I would go about it and observe and carefully take notes and observations of what's happening and how your body's responding. And this is for everybody. The more you guys journal, your physical sensations as well as mental sensations of your training, the better you get at recognizing them, not because you read them afterwards, but in the moment, in the day, as you prepare for journaling, because your mind starts recognizing what you're doing every day and with the journaling and the logging, and therefore it will create the narrative and recognize the pattern, the narrative, the story, the observations, in the moment while you're running or as you're getting that niggle or as you're feeling out of breath or as you're super hungry today on a recovery day or as, I mean, all the different signals your body sends you, you'll get better at recognizing them. So the journaling, the logging, the the observations will become way easier and uh, the patterns will be easier to recognize too. Um, And how many kilometers a week would be sufficient? Again, um, so 30 kilometers a day for 60 days, right? Well, I wouldn't do get too complicated with the math there. Um, you know, if you're going to, for 60 days, um, is, uh, you're doing seven days at least in a row, eight, hopefully, nine, maybe even 10, right? So seven times 30, you got to get ready for 200-ish K a week. Um, so you sort of want to work around that. Um, I think that... that That you shouldn't make too complicated, but how you would build up to that and what your tolerances are, that's where things get a little bit more, get more into the details. So I hope I provided a little bit of um, guidance there. All right, this final one is from Wendy. What kind of strength training, plyometrics, agility movements do you advise, if any, for trail runners? And what advice do you have to become more efficient and running downhill. If you share it on a podcast, please let me know which episode and I will listen. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that I've covered this specific topic on a podcast, but um, no problems. I'll answer it again, even if I have vaguely or similarly discussed on it. So strength training is um, something that I do a little different. I build up via the core first, then add some strength components to the core and then do a variety of um, um, body weight strength exercises and then gradually bring in some real weight, weight vests, um, kettlebells, um, plates, things like that. But the strength training um, rarely progresses too much into the gym where you need big equipment because uh, I feel a lot of it can be done with plenty of load on the body um, with a variety of body weight exercises, Um, single leg lunge, squats and jumps, squats and jumps in general, um, things like that. Um, And variety of sets of those and repeating them in high reps Um, Again, I worry about a lot of athletes with injuries and their legs and their joints and their ability to tolerate the proper strength work. Not that I'm not a proponent of strength work, heavy sets of squats and a variety of other specific that lifts um, for strength training. Um, I'm especially a fan of things like walking lunges or box squats Um, Some upper body work and bench press and push presses, Um, you know, uh, so, and definitely some chassis integrity work, hamstring work, Um, also really like back squats, thrusters, um, you know, sandbag work, especially a lot too. It just, it just, again, depends on what the athlete can do in a clean format without, Um, me having an opportunity to see them and review them and give them good strength work and instruction and see where their form is compromised doing it from a distance like I do with a lot of athletes I keep it pretty safe but effective in my opinion with body weight work um so yeah even like hinge lifts are great and um um, yes, and, and squats and stuff like that. So that from a strengths component definitely helps. I'm also a big fan of, like I was saying, of just general body weight work. And um, so that can include, like I was saying, lunge jumps, single leg lunge jumps, squats and jumps, um, um, a lot of uh, 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 calf raises, things like that. I'm a huge fan also of Jump Rope jump rope in general to keep us light on our feet and our and our, our, our turnover quick so especially after a, a trail run coming back and doing a thousand jump ropes with um uh, let's say 100 or 150 unit sets so you're light on your feet and you're just tap 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 tapping away on your um, feet after a, a longer trail run let's say of 90 minutes coming back and doing another 15 ish minutes of just really light on your feet jump ropes, because when you're jumping rope effectively, You're supposed to be landing lightly on your feet, compressing the weight of your body while still remaining somewhat on your toes, barely letting your heels touch ground, if at all, and then right back up again, right? And so keeping that light tapping, bouncing motion and re-entering that, reintroducing that into our tired legs after often plodding away or running pretty heavy on trails, helps a lot too to reconnect to lighter good posture good form good technique running um, so plyometrics there, strength training there yes agility movements not as much um, i do find that most trail runners that i work with even from a very elite level have access to a lot of trails. And so we'll mix up the type of trail running they're doing from bounding exercises on hills to bounding on flats to um, single leg bounding as well. Um, And this is more agility movements that you were talking about, but also um, I'll say choose a technical trail today and really keep your feet fast and light. And so a lot of times, what usually would be their stride distance, they reduce it and hit the ground more frequently in different spots for that type of agility movement. Again, um, a technical trail that requires a lot of foot touching and a lot of um, um, stability landing touches. So I, I definitely like that for some of my ultra runners who are familiar with the, train, the, train, the terrain they're going to be uh, racing at, um, whether that's, let's say, hard rock or, um, you know, it depends on which kind of hard rock is great for that, the agility and the fast feet work, because as you're running across some of the shale and the, uh, the, the bigger rocks, you wanna be able to put your foot down outside of your usual stride movement and land quickly or bound quickly or jump quickly or move around so i like to simulate that in training as well it doesn't have to necessarily be shale rocks it could be roots or just a difficult terrain to have a regular stride turnover with you know a lot of people will argue in general about what the the other benefits of trail running are and the great benefit of trail running and many argue this is why it's better load on the legs versus pavement i'm not in agreement with it but according to exercise physiologists they say the reason trail running is better on your the the pounding on your legs is not necessarily due to the surface um, but because you're changing your stride because you're not landing in a repetitive stress overload motion over and over and over and over again, which fatigues the legs differently. The fact that in trail running, you're landing differently, frequently, different patterns, different stride lengths, and different timing, it changes the load on your legs. But in general, that's also why I like it for stability, strength, core, integrity, all those things, Um, technical trails and uh and what advice do you have to become more efficient and running downhill i'm wanting becoming more efficient and running downhill or becoming efficient in running downhill i'm not sure which one of the two the most um useful advice i ever received when running uh doing a lot of trail running from um the legend of trail running herself um, in, as a female in the sport, as well as one of the best overall trail runners ever, Ann Tracen, she said to me, Chris, just let yourself fall down the trail. You have to allow your body to fall with it. The more you hit the brakes running downhill, the more fatiguing it is, right? Because you're absorbing all that more impact because you're breaking your body you're hitting, you're slowing it down. And also um, your hips and and your lower back take a different type of impact like that. She was always big and adamant. And I've heard this from many people since fall downhill, fall running and allow the stride and your body to just take over. Don't think, just let the legs go. Um, That definitely helps with Running downhill, it's more the fear and the worry of tripping or not landing right or twisting an ankle that creeps into our mind that doesn't let us run downhill efficiently and effectively. But you just got to learn to run downhill um, more fearlessly. I wouldn't say completely fearless, but more fearlessly. And it will greatly impact not only your success in running downhill, but your speed in running downhill. Um, so, and then know your terrain, right? Again, if you're not getting for ready for a race that you're not running a lot of downhills, I'm not necessarily sure you need that if you're doing the other strength and stability work. Um, but if there is a lot of downhills in your event, in your trail running, I would surely include it in the training plan where I would say today's trail run, we want to find a hilly trail run. And keep it real easy on the ups and the flats, but aggressively run anything downhill or decline related. Um, And then that way, just flipping the script of a typical trail run. And many athletes find that helpful because they can turn the brain off on other spots and just focus on the downhills. Or other days we focus only on the inclines and uphills and running everything else easy. And then there's, excuse me, other trail days where we just run the flats aggressive and fast and we walk the uphills and run easy on the downhill so that we use each terrain to our advantage and what we want as an outcome for the workout that day and then finally if you are asking about becoming more efficient as a runner that is a question of frequency and time Um, there are no tricks in my opinion Or shortcuts and I'm not saying that you're looking for a shortcut but efficiency is repetitive motion and getting the economy and the efficiency in our motion up so that it taxes us very little and it feels very um, smooth and um, yeah efficient relaxing uh, without much tax on us in the running motion and that comes with volume that comes with repetitive volume Um, not as much long runs as it is in my opinion frequent runs so um, morning and evening or a couple runs a day not more than three but in most cases this applies to masters athletes and that's twice a day and you'll find after a couple of those for a couple weeks let's say Three days a week, you're doing double runs, 40 in the morning, 50 minutes at night, 40 minutes in the morning. Um, you do that three times a week, and after about a month, that running volume and that running efficiency will feel totally different. And again, that ties into previous podcasts where I've talked about why I'm such a, a big promote, proponent of double runs, um, not only from a fitness perspective, efficiency perspective, but also from a quality of each stride running is much higher when we're somewhat recovered not fully recovered so that we don't have the effect of being untrained and fresh doing it but we're also not fatigued and running with bad form and technique so i hope that answered all those little questions within that bigger question so i hope that helped wendy all right i'm gonna dive into some uh, quick hits here and that'll be it for this week On the Weekly Word Podcast. Okay, quick hit number one. (laughs) Looking at this, pretty easy one to work through, but um, still worth mentioning. You know, as we go into these winter months, whether it's rain or whether it's snow or cold temperatures and ice, um, I know it seems easy to move to the treadmill. You don't have to put on a lot of clothes. You don't have to shed a lot of clothes. You don't have a bigger pile of laundry waiting for you. But if it is available if you can run outside always try to run outside Um, because a we know the weather is going to turn worse and there's going to be days where logistically it's just not possible and so then we save those days for the treadmill days if you have the opportunity to run outside ever so gingerly even on snowy icy roads yak tracks is what my big push is there it still teaches you to land light on your feet. You're still moving forward on your own propulsion. Um, same as with running in, in the dark. When you run, not in the dark, but with a headlamp, um, when you run on snow and ice, as well as with a headlamp in the dark, because your footing is not as secure, predictive, landing as confidently, you tend to stay lighter on your feet because you don't want to roll that ankle. You don't want to slip. You don't want to have bad footing. So the, the time you land and the time you bounce off the ground um, shortens, and it makes for a different type of running style, which is a very good drill in general to be doing at least once a week if you can. Just that light feet action, tap, tap, tap that I was talking about earlier, but also because of the ice, snow, different terrain or darkness, you're, you're forced into lighter feet. So take the treadmill only if the conditions really don't allow it. Yes, you do have to put on clothes. Yes, you got to take those off. It adds to your day. But we want to minimize the treadmill time. It's December. It's coming anyway. There's many treadmill runs coming. Um, so avoid it at all costs. Many of us know that we need to improve our cadence, and cadence is one of those things that it's hard to focus on when we're outdoors because it changes in terrain, headwind, tailwind, and so forth. Now, of course, I'm a huge proponent. I do it myself as well as for most of my athletes, keeping it in the small chain ring all winter. I literally do not touch the big chain ring until probably February or March. Well, closer to March. As a matter of fact, I can run a white towel along my big chain ring and nothing comes on there. I don't even allow my chain to shift into that gear. Now, of course that means coasting on some of the downhills or um, overspinning on some of the flatter tailwind sections. But that's fine because my focus is to get more economical in my pedal stroke over the winter. And it's a surefire way to remain um, certain that I'm going easy enough, zone two, and but that I'm still focused on a clean, efficient, economical pedal stroke that is at a high cadence, somewhere between 85 and 95. Of course, again, outdoors not always easily achievable. So if I'm keeping it above 80 outdoors, I'm pretty happy. But that also means that we wanna remain super focused that indoors we keep the cadence higher than we ride outdoors. So again, using the time of year, using the circumstances and the uh, the, the equipment in this case to our advantage. If I'm going to ride indoors on that boring trainer, I will ride at a cadence that's higher than outside in order to get another training effect, boost, technique improvement out of it. Now, we have talked before about the the value of higher cadences. It's better from um, from a, a neuromuscular aspect of being able to fire a clean pedal stroke at a higher cadence. It's better for oxygen uptake. It creates a better VO2 max, um, not creating a VO2 max, but it creates a better support network to help improve VO2 max. And what I always say about higher cadence is we can always slow down the cadence and push a bigger gear. But those who typically push a big gear become way wobbly, way fatigued, and their heart rate shoots to the roof when they try to hold a high cadence. So we're way better off as cyclists and from a fitness perspective to be able to move down and increase the muscular power as we move down with cadence than it is the other way around. And overall, again, a fast-firing muscle is going to have less wear and tear, tax fatigue on it, getting ready for the run, than a slow-moving, muscular, powerful, slowly contracting and expanding muscle right? So all those things you want to keep in mind as we go through the winter and using the terrain and the environment and the workout to your advantage. If indoors, keep that cadence high. If outdoors, I would highly recommend small chain ring SCR. So I'd say it's about 50% of my athletes that either Um, have a struggle in coming back from some downtime, from some off time, from some um, missed time away from training because they're struggling to bring up their fitness to their expectations. And I believe their expectations are still hooked upon the numbers, the paces, the wattages, the feel that they had prior to their time off or sickness or some maintenance, right? Maintenance being doing other things, some strength and some core and some maybe, you know, trails and so on for the their preseason, off-season, or whatever. And so the point here is very clear. Do not get caught up in trying to create expectations of your fittest ideal self, the one that you remember last. Now, of course, it's nice to have um, a vision and a path, once again, of where you're looking to get to, but it becomes very difficult when you start judging your workouts and evaluating your performance based off of your fittest self versus who you are right now. You will get there again, but you will only make the path more difficult if you're focused on how you are not there yet and it feels negative. It feels like a drag that you're not there yet. Instead, realizing this is the road back. This is who I am now. I had a pretty solid workout, not great. Could I have gone faster? Have I been faster? Have I felt better? Have I felt lighter on my feet? Have I felt more efficient on the bike? Have I felt smoother in the water? Of course, but you know, we chip away at it, right? Long-term change bit by bit, long-term goals, bit by bit, small incremental steps. One of my favorite commentaries out of the logs is (laughs) how much or how many athletes struggle with three-limb bridge. And it does highlight something about our training and our daily activities with regards to swim, bike, and run. And that we're very... um, focused on a neutral spine, steady top to bottom, um, forward and backwards movements of our body. Cycling, legs up and down, upper body still facing forward. Swimming, um, forward and backwards, kicking and arm motion and moving forwards and backwards on a um, plane that is not a lot of twisting and side to side motion. And then throw in running, arms moving forward and backwards, legs moving forward and backwards. And again, moving on a plane without a lot of twisting. Now, three limb bridge is a great example on how when we change our perspective, our approach, our activation and um, move things in a different way to strengthen the remainder of the bridge, that means, yeah, it is challenging. It's challenging for me too. But that's the whole beauty I'm trying to lean into. When my arm is out front lifted and the other three limbs are down, I'm thinking about what is that side where my arm is lifted? How am I facilitating that? How am I engaging that? How am I strengthening that to help support the other three limbs? When that rear leg is up, same thing. How am I connecting from the heel bone all the way to my spine and neck? Um, on one singular powerful connection firing engagement. And so yeah, three limb bridge is exactly that to highlight for many of us when we're stuck in this simple routine on a certain plane of moving our body a certain way. And most of all you athletes that are on my core routine are noticing it's a lot about torso twisting and activating the torso and chassis integrity that I talk about. When we're swimming, notice how the upper body separates and twists way more as of the hips um, down, right? We wanna notice that our shoulders are doing a ton of twisting, turning deep into the water, high recovery of the other arm out of the water, while the hips aren't doing nearly as much rotation. Now they are for sure rotating and it's important in swimming to remember that your hips rotate. So when your left arm is out of the water recovering, coming forwards to the front of your stroke, your left shoulder is out of the water, your right shoulder is in the water because it's pulling through. Well your hips have to mimic this motion too. Your left hip needs to be open and your torso and your hips need to be facing that side of the pool in that case to the left because your left arm is out of the water too often we just lift our arm out of its shoulder instead of also lifting and turning from the hip to facilitate the turn the the, the rotation of our stroke not the turn as in at the wall same thing the other way right when our right arm is recovering our shoulders <coughs> excuse me are quite open our right shoulder is out of the water our left shoulder is deep in the water our head is neutral still looking a little bit down and a little bit forward nothing dramatic neutral spine so we're rotated on that spine axis axis and that left arm is deep in the water the right arm is high out of the water right shoulders high out of the water to help facilitate the arm recovery of that right arm at the same time that right hip now is a little bit open and higher than the left hip because again we want to open up our hips and face in this case towards the right side of the pool now not completely uh, vertical right but enough that you notice you're you're bobbing you're 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 pendling from one side to the other the hips should to open and close and open and close to each side on each stroke that you're swimming so it is very much a corkscrew turning rotation and finally when you get to your feet their rotation is way less than the hips which the hips are way less than the shoulders And so that rotation on that neutral spine, that's our axis, and everything is turning from there. But the further back from your arms and shoulders you are, the less rotation it becomes. But it surely needs rotation. To this day, I catch myself in my own freestyle stroke, noticing that I haven't opened up my hips to the non-breathing side. It's easy to open your hips to the breathing side, right because that arm automatically the opposite arm goes deep in the water the I breathe to my left for example actually excuse me I breathe to my right so yeah my left arm is deep in the water my right arm is high and relaxed out of the water because I'm breathing to the right it helps facilitate that shoulder turn now that hip is nice and open Right, because I'm breathing towards that side, towards the right, and I actually need to sort of be careful to not open up too far, and so I counter it ever so gently, and not cognizantly. This is something I've been doing since I'm three years old, so I don't really think about it, but I have noticed what my feet are doing, and I actually fire a kick down with my right leg while my right hip and right arm is open and out of the water it keeps my hips from opening too far by kicking down to counteract that a little bit but then once that right arm comes forward and comes into the water and turns my shoulders and now brings my shoulder forward and deep into the water right as my right arm is extended now my left arm is coming out of the water and because I don't breathe to the left I don't get quite that rotation. Sure, I too lift my left arm higher so I still get the shoulder rotation. But by lifting, I'm not coming from the hips. I'm not turning the hips as much. And so I have to make sure that I lift also throw that left hip up a little bit, throw the right hip down a little bit, again, to help facilitate getting that left arm out of the water, turning those shoulders and that the hips towards the left now because I don't breathe to that side. And that's what you often see in swimmers on TV and stuff like that, where you see them sort of um, um, have a hick hinge or a... Um, a um, a stutter almost on the one side of their freestyle stroke because that's the side they don't breathe on so they lift out and drop lift out and drop and you can see Michael Phelps does it um Ryan Lochte does it although Ryan has a little bit more balanced freestyle it's it's qu- quite uh, impressive but yeah a lot of people a lot of swimmers who breathe to one side um, and especially a Michael Phelps after a 400 IM or on the back end of something, you can see he's hinging, he's pulling his non-breathing side arm out in order to get that height and that extension out front. So three limb front bridge. Think about it. It's a um, great exercise. And as my athletes know, it, it's, a, it's a butt kicker because, you know, holding that for 30, 40 seconds becomes brutal Alright, I think that'll do it for this week, the third week of December. I am probably going to have one more podcast um, for the year, and then I will take a break for two weeks until I get back from Jackson, Wyoming, where we go for Christmas um, and New Year's with the family. Um, So... With that said, um, I hope you are all having a wonderful holiday season. Um, I hope you're able to get through the holidays here with um, the least amount of stress. And another thing I forgot to bring up before is try to get through the holidays healthy. Even that's a win that I didn't talk about before. The win of getting through the holidays without getting sick without having that extra stress cost tax on your body. Healthy, hopefully good food. Now above that, hopefully a few workouts. Now above that even hopefully 80% of your workouts. And then of course, in a perfect world, healthy, good food, good nourishment, good times, good family time, being present, being happy, being engaged, getting in the workouts, getting it all in, and kicking out into the 7th of January going, wow, I just had the most amazing holidays. I got it all done. I feel great. I feel happy. I feel complete. I feel healthy. I feel connected. That would be ideal. So have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Um, I will have a chance to Wish you the best for Christmas and New Year's next week. But until then, enjoy this time of year. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your body and your training and your health and your ability to do this. Enjoy that you are you have this time every day to spend with your body, to listen to it, to understand it, to pick up the signals, to hear what it might be telling you and connecting with your deeper self, with your higher consciousness, with the self. And I am a big, big believer, as you all know, that when we're in our aerobic activity, because we're busy doing some very simple functions of swimming, not swimming, but biking and running, it allows our mind to relax and our, that portal to our deeper self open up and that creativity and that gratitude and that appreciation and that vibrancy and that energy and that love and the overall connectedness to the greater um, universe around us, nature, our loved ones, our own body, that complete connection to our soul and our heart and our spirit, all can happen while we have a chance to exercise every day breathing in a steady pattern changes in slight changes in intensity but enough to just keep you feeling really connected and really alive that's what we're doing and that's what we're trying to maintain as we move forward through the months and years of our um, you know life is a big term but of our adventure and of our interest to be healthy, to be fit, to be connected, to have it all, to feel alive. And that's what I wish for all of you. And that is what I love doing, figuring out a way to help you all navigate that sensation, that value of realizing health and fitness and being connected and feeling alive is possible Through all of life's challenges, schedule challenges, family commitments, work commitments, work growth, professional growth, learning, um, community, all that. There's a way and we together can figure it out. If you give me the chance by communicating effectively, right? And this isn't a disclaimer, but the more you give me, the more you want to work at this, the more I can help you. And that's, that's how this works best. Um, when you are vulnerable and willing to ask those questions, I can help and um, guide and provide examples and work with you on your schedule, on your stress, on your um, difficulties of navigating all your priorities. So have a great week, everybody, and I will talk to you next week.